a good girl Loves her mama Loves Jesus In America too She's a good girl She's crazy about Elvis Loves horses And her boyfriend too Welcome to Golf Origin Stories. My name is Chris McEwen. This week's guest is Ryan Ballingy, who everybody knows, right? He of thegolfnewsnet.com, running his own golf news and product website. And uh, for you that are here just to, to listen to, to Ryan's uh, story uh, and are new to the show, uh, a couple of things. One, the general premise of this show is people telling their stories about when they fell in golf and why they love it. The other thing that I tend to do on these podcasts is I open every episode with a different song because I love music. I love to share music. I love to talk about music almost maybe just as much as I love to talk about golf. So sometimes I'll tell you about why I love a certain song. Sometimes I'll try to decode the lyrics of a song and what I think they mean. Sometimes I'll just tell you why I think a song is great. And I haven't done that in a while. I haven't haven't talked about what makes a song great. And I'm not going to do a big deep dive into it. That's not what this show is. But uh, I was reminded on Twitter earlier uh, last week by former guest Ben Grian uh, that I I haven't done that. And and the last time I did it was probably with his episode when I kind of broke down Call Me Maybe, which I unapologetically love. That song is a jam and it's a brilliant pop song. And I talk about why it's such a good pop song. Anyways, this, this week's song is obviously Tom Petty's Free Fallen, which kind of incredibly was the first track off his debut sort of solo effort, uh, Full Moon Fever. So he had done stuff obviously with Tom Petty and the Heart- Heartbreakers, but this was his first solo album, although he did use the same guitarist from his band for his solo stuff. But either way. It sounds like such a simple song, and it's it, it kind of is. I mean, if you were going to start playing guitar today, you wouldn't be. It wouldn't hurt to start by trying to learn "Free Fallen," because it's a very simple three or four chord riff for the most part. For the most part, uh, you don't have to move your hand around the neck at all. Near, nearly, you're just kind of moving some fingers around. But there's much more going on in this song. And, and it, there's a, you know, it's, it's a, a well-produced song for a variety of reasons. Uh, the producer was Jeff Lynn, who is a, you know, in, in the world of music is a huge, huge producer. Um, he actually co-founded the band ELO, but then he moved on to doing producing and, and he's just created some of the stuff. He, he also founded the Traveling Wilburys. But um, anyways... So one of the things that that Jeff Lynn's kind of known for is he, he's a very old school producer. So even though this song is from 1989, it's got some sound and feel as the late 70s, sort of. And one of those things that is consistent with that sound is how you're actually hearing it. So that simple riff I talked about is actually three guitars. Tom Petty playing a six string and there is a 12 string guitar behind it. And there's one more. Pretty sure there's one more. Uh, that that's also being played, and but what they're doing is they're putting one or two of the guitars in the left ear, and they're putting another guitar in your right ear, and they're 
and Jeff Lynn put some different effects on each side. So uh, you're, he's panning, you know, obviously in, in ear to ear, and then there's some echo involved in one of the guitars. And what that does from a just a listening perspective is it it helps provide depth to the song. So even though this is a very simple, again, guitar riff, couple acoustics guitar, it's providing that depth by separating those channels in the left ear, right ear. So if you have very good headphones or maybe you're in your car or something, uh, you can, if you listen, you can, you can delineate between those guitars or just kind of go back and forth, maybe take a headphone out and you can hear them that happening. It's true. Little fun little fact there. Another fun fact about this song is that the hi-hat that is throughout the song is not a real hi-hat. That's a loop that they put in. Another very popular Jeff Lynne technique. I don't know why he does it, but it's very it's very common. Uh, in fact, it's in another another few petty songs from this from Full Moon Full Moon Fever. But um, anyways, so that's happening. <laughs> and then we're, I haven't started talking about Tom Petty's vocals. Probably his best vocal performance of any song I think he's ever he's ever recorded. It's just, it's flawless. It's perfect. And then take that perfect vocal performance with the perfect harmonies that happen throughout the song and some added little things, which will, I'll close out the episode and I'll give you a little bit more flavor of, of towards the end of that track, what really kind of grabs us. But those things really, really help make this song great. And then uh, I think... Finally, the one other thing, and it's a, again, it's a very 70s type of thing, but the free falling part, that's the hook, right? That's the, that's the chorus. That's what grabs us. And he says it over and over and over and over and over again, which is also another little trick that they used uh, in production and songwriting in general to really just get you into it. So... That, that's just a quick preview of, of why I, I, I mean, the song is just so great. It's, it's, un, it's, it's, you can't argue it. It's undeniable, the, the greatness of that song. It's just so good. And um, yeah, but anyways, that's, that's about six minutes or so of me talking about free falling. I could go on for a good 30, I'm sure. But uh, anyways, back to my guest, Ryan Ballingee. Uh, I'm really excited that I was able to get him on the show. I've been wanting, I've been, you know, I've been following Ryan's career for as long as I've been kind of interested in golf, quite honestly. And, and I followed him around uh, from sort of job to job, from venue to venue, so to speak. And um, I'm really a big fan of his, of him and his work. And we talk about his career and we kind of, you know, again, this show sometimes just takes its own path, you know, depending on what, comes up and what we talk about, but we talk about opportunity and, you know, not just making your own opportunities, right? We all kind of can create opportunities for ourselves, but realizing when something presents itself and taking full advantage through hard work, right? Uh, just through, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's, you know, you just people um, for whatever reason, look out for you and, and, and help you. But we, we talk about a lot, you know, about opportunities and making the most of them. But we really start the show because he just got back from a fun little golf trip. 
And we had to talk about that first. So without further ado, let's talk to Ryan Ballinger. So Ryan, the fir- one of the first things I want to talk to you about is, uh, I think it was last week, perhaps you went on a little trip. I did. To check some things out. What'd you see? What'd you do? Where'd you go? Well, I went to Big Cedar Lodge in Ridgedale, Missouri, and uh, a couple of friends of mine and I, we rented a car and <laughs> drove 16 and a half hours out to Ridgedale, Missouri in Big Cedar Lodge. We stayed in St. Louis the first night. So we drove 12 hours and then drove another four and a half in the morning. Wow. And we were uh, fortunately among the first paying members of the public to play Tiger Woods's Payne's Valley. So we had uh, seven rounds in four days oh. and not just Payne's Valley, but the other yeah, yeah. courses on the property and got to experience a place neither of us or none of us had ever seen before. So what, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, from the pictures that you posted on Instagram, it looked, I mean, that the place is just gorgeous. I mean, a lot of people have seen it on TV, Payne's Valley specifically, but I think uh, seeing it, you know, through a player's, you know, perspective, a camera like that, um, it just looked amazing. It did. I mean, so there are three courses there, three 18-hole courses there, and then two short courses. So we played uh, Payne's Valley twice. We played Buffalo Ridge, which is the original Tom Fazio course twice. And we played Ozarks National, which is the core and Crenshaw design yeah. twice. And I think there's a certain set of expectations about this new course, Payne's Valley, because it's got Tiger Woods' name on it. Although Bo Welling, his architectural consultant, did a lot of the work mm-hmm. in making this thing come to life. And those two courses, Ozarks and Payne's Valley, could not be more different. In, in several ways, but I guess I would describe it saying Payne's Valley is an experiential round of golf. It is truly unique. It's almost like playing a, a wind golf club or a shadow Creek or uh, like that, where it's, it's like, you know, this course isn't supposed to be here like this, but you're <laughs> going to, you're going to dive in and suspend disbelief for four or five hours. Yeah. And Ozarks national is the clear opposite. I mean, Corn Crenshaw don't design things that don't look like they weren't there before in some fashion. They use topography and the land they're given extremely well. And it, and honestly, and depending on what you want from a golf course, it Ozarks National either enthrall you because it looks like it belongs or disappoint you because it doesn't look as eye popping in the way that Paints Valley does. But they're yeah. both excellent golf courses. It just depends on what you want from your golf course vibe, your aesthetic while you play as to which you might like more. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, we just kind of on Twitter yesterday, last night, there was a bit of a discussion around um, the loop. And I feel like, um, you know, those courses that are on that resort, you know, you have one that's very lush and green and pretty and, and what people sort of have come to expect out of a golf course and then you've got the doke stuff that's, you know, totally different. But, you know, people have their preference. And and I don't think there's a wrong answer necessarily, but some people like that sort of baked out, you know, different sort of shot making requirements than your lush, you know, soft carpety fairways and, and greens and stuff like that. I, I guess that the big contrast between the two places is the aesthetic, right? It's 
it's that Payne's Valley is green. Yeah. Green <laughs> in the sense that Tiger kind of loves this Augusta National aesthetic, I believe. And you yeah. see that in what he did at Blue Jack National, which is very Augusta like with wall to wall fairway that basically it's fairway or pine straw as one of my buddies put it uh, who's played there and that a lot of the areas around the greens are tight mowed low grass that gives you a lot of options you can run the ball up a lot uh, a lot of the things that tiger values as a golfer right mm-hmm. and sure. it's softer uh, and I, I was actually kind of surprised by that, that it was a little bit softer, actually significantly softer than Ozarks because Tiger loves firm and fast and he talks about it all the time. Yeah. It, I guess the nature of building this course, the way that they had to build it and, and also using uh, zoysia grass in the, in the fairways to kind of create uh, maybe a little bit more puffed up lies. I think, Maybe that's just the the route they chose to go, and maybe they'll they'll make it harder, firmer over time. But at Ozarks, I mean, it's had a couple of years to grow in, and I mean, you can the ball runs. I mean, it yeah. moves. Yeah, uh, that, and the ground game is part of Core and Crenshaw to who they are, and so they use a lot of the, but they have a lot of similar design characteristics. Um, you know, they have a lot of center line bunkers. They have uh, places where. They use design elements more to get your attention, not necessarily to penalize you, just to frame the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bunkers you might never put yourself in or even think about putting yourself in until you realize you could put yourself in them. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, Corin Crenshaw employ a little bit more variability in terms of green sizes, I think, than Tiger. But I, a lot of the similar characteristics of good golf course architecture come through in both. Got it. Now you you're speaking as a golf course architect, right? You designed <laughs> your own golf course during during the height. I feel like of lockdown, you got busy in your backyard and you designed fenced up country club. You are the founder, owner, operator of. I'm just gonna say FUCC. I won't. I won't say. It. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't say it as a, as an acronym. It's not like NASCAR. Right. Doesn't work. Right. Um, right. But. FUCC was just kind of this brainchild of COVID where I was sitting inside and, you know, our kids were playing outside in in March and early April and they're spending a lot of time out there because what else are you going to do when you can't go anywhere? Right. And and we couldn't play golf here in Maryland. We were literally the next to last state to open golf courses back up. And I was sitting here thinking, what am I going to do to kill time? If I can't play golf. And so I went to uh, uh, Google Maps and kind of looked at the overhead of my house and looked in my my backyard, which isn't that large at all. I mean, it's maybe maybe a quarter acre and just tried to envision ways I could hit 25, 30 yard shots, you know, around my backyard and my side yard. And then said, you know what, let's come up with a design and went to Dick's Sporting Goods and bought every single last one of the cup and flag combos that they had, <laughs> uh, which were four and bought a mat, bought some foam balls because the foam balls don't go as far. So it makes the golf course play longer. Yeah, sure. Right. Kind of came up with positions and holes and, you know, it turned out it was, it was pretty good. It was, it was a lot of fun. And for a couple, you know, several weeks in there, I, I was playing golf just 
chipping it around my backyard. And my, my kids played, my wife played, uh, my sister-in-law who visited us for a time played. Um, we just had a good time just chipping and putting. And that's really all golf needs to be. I mean, it doesn't need to be Payne's Valley. It doesn't need to be an exorbitant, unbelievable, unique experience. It can just be beating it around your yard with your your family and friends. And I I hope that that reminder still remains uh, through all of this. And when, you know, when we get into later in 21 and sometime in 22, when life starts to feel a little bit more like it did, uh, that that doesn't go away. I think I thought that was a pretty important lesson. Amen, man. Uh, I totally agree. And um, I love watching it from just as a consumer, like the whole, like from idea to execution to playability, uh, you know, from uh, just on social media, watching you go through those, that sort of process and you're putting up videos and it was just an absolute blast because again, there was no golf to watch. So it's like, right. I mean, you know, what are you going to do with your time? Right. So, And it yeah. was, it was really fun to think about how, a golf hole would look obviously in miniature, but how mm-hmm. it would look, what would be a, what would be a good, a good deterrent? What would be a good feature? What would make it interesting and unique compared to the previous hole? And how would you route it? How would you, with the order in which you would play them? <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it all, it was a good exercise. I'm not saying it was a great golf course. I mean, I can put it up anytime, but it was, it was a really fun thing to try and do. And the really validating thing about it, honestly, was, how many people sent me messages, uh, DMs, publicly, whatever, asking for advice that they're like, hey, I watched <laughs> your video. I've got some yard space, obviously have some time. What do you think about my routing? Or what do you think about that? You know, could I do this? And I, I mean, I, absolutely. I, I mean, That's I probably so took a half dozen people into building backyard golf courses <laughs> and they had a great time. And that's that's really all it's about is just finding a way to have a good time. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun to see what people created and what they can do with the space they have available to them. turns out you can make golf happen almost anywhere if you're committed to the idea enough. Right. Right. I love that you became a consultant for other <laughs> golf course architects. <laughs> and I'll, I'll still do it. I mean, if for some reason sure. we have to go back into lockdown, I'm going to fire FUCC right back up and hopefully some other people will feel inclined to do the same. That's right. Get the merch machine going again. Oh, yeah. You got into it, man. You were selling shirts and hats and stickers and all kinds of good stuff. And it was great because we raised a few hundred dollars. I mean, all the profits went to uh, the the PGA of America's Golf Emergency Relief Fund. And it wasn't about trying to make any money. I mean, that was no big deal. But we wound up donating a few hundred dollars. I think it was $300 worth of profits. And they had a matching fund. So ultimately – a goofy exercise led to $600 of uh, donations, which is great. That is great. That is super cool. Um, one other thing as a, recently I wanted to talk to you about, because it was just, it, you posted it on, I think it was on Instagram. You might have, and Twitter, but um, you played in a golf tournament for the first time, I think in three years. Yeah, I played my club championship. Um just a few weeks ago, the weekend of the U.S. Open, and That's right. I had not played a tournament uh, since the Myrtle Beach World Am, which was just before my son went into kindergarten. So you know, right about three years, and uh, it was—I I don't play a lot of tournament golf. I mean, I'm a I, no handicap. I'm a scratch player these days, mm-hmm. but 
I just kind of shy away from tournaments for a variety of reasons. One, I, I mean, I like to spend time with my kids on the weekends. I don't play a lot of weekend golf. Most tournaments are on weekends. So there goes that idea. I work on weekends, you know, Saturday and Sunday are the most important days of golf tournaments. Right. It makes it hard to do this. Um, and I, the, I, I just have never taken a shining to competitive golf. I mean, I, I just, not that I don't like it. It just doesn't make me feel as fun. It doesn't feel as fun as just freewheeling it, banging driver everywhere and not caring what the score is. Right. So, uh, but every once in a while, I kind of get the itch to see where I'm at and if I'll like it this time. And so I figured, well, why not? Let's try it. Uh, usually our club championship is in, it's closer to the, U, the U.S. Open original dates in June, which yeah, obviously is not happening. And so I was like, well, if it if they're going to move the U.S. Open and they're going to move the club championship, let's just try it. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the best thing about playing in that tournament that I saw Besides the fact that you rallied day two, which, you know, showed some good uh, character, Ryan, some toughness, some mental toughness, which is impressive. But um, you had a surprise waiting for you as you walked past your own house that's on the golf course, right? Yeah. So I live off the ninth green uh, here at our, our club, Argyle Country Club. It's a kind of blue collar club. It's uh, celebrating, I believe, its 75th anniversary on its current site this year. And... You know, we have a lot of folks who kind of come from um, just like they do working man's work back. Sure. You know, right. Uh, and it's fun to play against them. It's also kind of fun to live there because it also doubles as my bar, my gym, my <laughs> pool, my uh, everything. You know, it's just kind of where I hub for life. And yeah, right. Um, I am fortunate to be able to walk through our, the back of our fence and go do all of those things. And I was coming up the, the eighth hole on the first day and I uh, just made triple, an inexplicable triple. It took me five shots to get in the hole from 90 yards, which was oh. awful. Um, and just kind of feeling like, what did you just do? <laughs> and I, I looked at my phone to just kind of break away from golf for a second. And my wife had texted me a picture of our two children. Uh, they're seven and four with you know signs, uh, a sign basically they posted on our, our fence. Uh, it's like, good luck, dad. And I, I, I shed a couple of tears. I'm not quite Steve Stricker, but pretty close. Um, <laughs> and just, very, I mean, really grateful that, um, that first of all, my wife would think to make a sign and that the kids would do it second. Right. Uh, and then that they were willing to, to put it on the fence for everyone to see, particularly me, but to make sure I saw it, to make sure that I, they knew, I knew they had my back. And that, that helped a lot in that moment. And it honestly helped a lot more after the round when I knew I had played well below what I could do. And I left it up for the next day because I wanted that feeling again going by the ninth hole. And it was different. I mean, I, I played really well uh, on the second day. What, 11 shots better, 12 shots yeah. better. Yeah. So it felt like, hey, that's 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 what's important about this. It didn't really matter whether I, I won or not or even beat anybody. Uh, fortunately, I did. But uh, <laughs> but that was the most cool part of the whole thing was just being able to uh, kids don't know what 
playing good golf means. But to be able to say to them when they ask, how'd you do? I did pretty well. And yeah. thank you for uh, cheering me on. Thank you for, for taking an interest in something I do. Yeah. That, it, it was a, it was just a fun, you know, like feel good, obviously moment that when you're scrolling through social media and, and I've talked about, you know, it, I try to make Twitter as, as kind of, uh, as a positive place as I possibly can, but yeah. it's hard. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, seeing something like that, like, man, that's, that's just great. And you're, and the way that you were just open and honest about just, just like, no, about your emotions of it. Um, it was just, it was great. I loved it. I just wanted to kind of, to, to hear back what you kind of felt seeing that kind of stuff. So it was super cool. It, it, um, I, I wish there were, I'm, I wish there were more of that. I suppose I feel like, Twitter in particular is a place where you're rewarded for either being controversial or mean spirited or sarcastic. And I mean, all the things, and I am yeah. some of yeah. those things sometimes, right? Right. But it, it, I think it's important to be the truest version of yourself in whatever you do. Like I, what you see on Twitter is me. It's not, um, it's not a version of me. It's not the preferred version of me. It's me. Yeah. And I, I think that I tried, I think that's important because if you have read my Twitter feed, you've got a pretty good sense of what you're going to experience if you ever meet me in person. And as a, as a matter, I don't know, as a matter of, uh, I guess business, but just personal pride. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of who I am and I, I would, want to be completely myself on Twitter or on Instagram in person, whatever that is. And if, if that's a good thing for people, if that's attractive to some people, okay. Uh, if it's not, that's okay too. Not everyone's going to like me, but sure. uh, I, I feel like I would be deceiving other people and dishonest with myself if I weren't me when I post that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, let's go back. Now you're the, you're the, Again, we we joked about the the golf course, but you actually do really do run a golf news network or, or golf yeah. news net, right? Uh, yeah. It's thegolfnewsnet.com. It's it's your uh, that's your other child, so to speak, <laughs> right? Um, but you've done you've been around for a while. You've been doing this thing this this whole golf media thing for quite some time, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it goes back to. 2002, maybe 2001. I'm kind of a little fuzzy on that at this point, but, um, <laughs> but 2001, 2002, when I first started doing the streaming audio show that is then became the 19th hole golf show podcast. And, uh, this past week was the 10 year anniversary of me writing professionally, uh, it being my job. So, uh, a lot of time has passed of, of doing this <laughs> and it's kind of amazing to think that it has been that long. Do you remember what you wrote about the very first time you got paid to write a word? No, uh, <laughs> um, I really don't. I guess the first time I was, I remember being paid uh, was for a local then print magazine uh, called Press Box here in, in the Baltimore area. And I wrote about the first tee of Columbia in, in Maryland. And I believe they pay me something like a hundred bucks for the nice. Uh, But I, that was like a straight journalism piece. Yeah. And 
it was the first time I had written for an actual magazine instead of an online website or my own blog or you know, precursors to blogs like those fan sites back in sure oh five oh six type deal um, yeah so that was the first I think that's the first time I ever got paid to write <laughs> so what what drove was this a decision like when did you decide I'm doing this for real like I'm gonna do this like was there a moment or was it just something that you kind of evolved into or, or how did that come about like when did that decision get made well I guess it's a series of moments that kind of spur you along um I wanted to be a journal I wanted to be a sports journalist not a golf journalist and I went to the University of Maryland pre-enrolled in their J school which if you didn't do that you had to wait till you were a sophomore to get in Mm -hmm. and they set up your journalism 100 class which I went to the first day and sit in this 300 person seat auditorium and the dean of the J schools teaching the class and Right away, he says, you can expect to make between fourteen and $41,000 a year out of school. <laughs> and I did the math. And I believe the minimum wage at the time was five twenty-five. And I was like, uh, I can basically make the low end working at 7-Eleven. Like, what are right. you doing? Right. right. Why, am I pay- why am I getting a college education to do this? I walked out, never came back. And I got a business degree. Uh, I started doing this podcast, this streaming radio show, the 19th Hole Golf Show, uh, nearby with a, a friend's studio where they ran a business where they broadcast D2, D3, NAIA uh, college sports. And people literally phoned in, hooked up a phone to a microphone, and broadcast the game. And they would pay wow. for the game. And they did some sports talk on the side and a, a good friend of mine was doing a hockey show, which they, in fact, still, they just did their 1000th episode this week, by the way. Wow. Uh, and they let me do golf. And I, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? I sat at like a Kirkland signature fold out table with a, <laughs> a board and a microphone and they're like, do what you want. I sat there for two hours, probably talking to no one other than my parents who listened faithfully for years and just kind of figured it out and eventually started reaching out to people to be guests. The LPGA was tremendously receptive. I don't know why. Um, people like Scott Van Pelt, Christina Kim were frequent guests. I, again, do not understand why they did it, um, but that led down to a path where I could get credentials to go to tournaments. And that turned into writing, uh, starting my own blog. Um, and eventually I worked for SB Nation. They had a golf blog I took over called Waggle Room. And Brent, uh, who works over at whatwasabout.com, was leaving to go do that job. And it gave me a great opportunity to start writing more frequently and build a community and a profile and Twitter kind of came around the same time and I was starting to convince myself, okay, how can I do this as my job? I've been working since I graduated from uh, uh, from graduate school in 2006 with a master's in public policy. Obviously, I don't use that now, but it's my <laughs> passion, which is okay. why I sometimes tweet about politics. So if you know what, that's why I tweet about politics is because I care about it. I literally have a degree in it and care about it. <laughs> 
And I was working for a not-for-profit that specializes in affordable housing issues. And I had been working in their IT department. So I had time behind a computer every day and was kind of writing blogs and doing my actual job. And it increasingly admittedly became a problem. I was focusing time during work when I was being paid to do something else on the thing I was getting paid hardly anything to do. Yeah. And one day the the CIO or CTO, I forget what, I'm pretty sure it was CIO uh, title. His name's Jim Polcaro. He took me out to lunch one day and we were talking about, um, you know, kind of the issues of my performance basically. And he's like, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, but, you know, can you please try to separate your <laughs> Your fake, your folk, fake job, your not real job, your hobby right. from this, and then not too long after that, he resigned, and he went to go do something else. And I, I still don't know what actually he wound up doing, but at his going away party, he came up to me and said, "Ryan, get out of here, go do what you really want to do." And, um, I. I Wow. I mean, it still makes me uh, get emotional thinking about that because he knew what I wanted to do and just he wanted to push me in that uh, direction. And then as fate would allow, um, the universe came to me in uh, 2010. NBC reached out at the behest of Rob Bolton, who is a tremendous fantasy golf writer, um, and asked me if I would cover the Ryder Cup, the 2010 Ryder Cup. Wow. In a little miniature blog. And uh, they were like, we, you're going to write for three days. You're going to work with our team. We'll pay $1,000 for the, those three days. And uh, can you do it? And I said, yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity. $1,000 is nice. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it's a resume builder. And sure. I, it was like the night before. The I forget who it was. I probably have the email somewhere. But uh, they basically said to me, treat this like a tryout as though – this would be an opportunity to write for us moving forward. And I worked my butt off for <laughs> that week. Um, the three, it was supposed to be a three day event. It turned into four. It was that Ryder cup that went to a Monday. Yeah. And I, um, I wrote something like 90 articles that week. <laughs> I mean, they're not long, but yeah, yeah. That's a lot of work. Yeah. And I was, running a live chat for the final day and I was I had switched jobs I was working for a public relations firm in DC hated every minute of it was just upset that I had made this choice and was sitting on a, a city bus or a municipal bus going to this job that I hated running this live chat with on my mobile phone with <laughs> hundreds of people NBC had no idea I was doing that, and it, at least on my phone, and got through it. And a, a couple of days later, maybe a couple of weeks later, they said, you know, hey, we thought you did a great job. Uh, we're going to start a golf blog called Pro Golf Talk. Do you want to run it? And I could not have quit my day job faster. <laughs> uh, I went downtown. I told them I am leaving. Um Actually, I went across the street to another a hotel to negotiate my salary, then came back and told them I was leaving um, and totally checked out for the final two weeks to the point that they were like, we don't even know if we want to pay you. I was like, no, you're going to pay me. And you know, I got paid to basically do nothing and leave. And um, 
And since then, I've, you know, I worked for NBC for a couple of years. And then when the merger with Golf Channel happened, things changed. NBC's model is completely antithetical to Golf Channel's at the time. And, yeah, you know, it just didn't work out there. They wanted someone in Orlando that was going to kind of write traditionally. And that turned out to be what Ryan Lavner uh, was. that He was hired to basically take my place and Oh wow! It worked out great. Lav is a tremendous, tremendous writer. Absolutely, He's doing great work. I mean, just won an Emmy. He's a a good person. It, it worked out for the best in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after getting bounced from that job, and then I worked for Back Nine Network, if you'll remember that for nine yep. months. And yep. Um, and then I was like, okay, now I'm out in the wilderness, and I don't know what the hell to do. So, I wound up taking a position with. Billy Casper Goff, the management company, and I worked with a guy named Kyle Ragsdale, who was this uh, VP at SB Nation at the time when I was doing Waggle Room. He had moved to Billy Casper Goff. He, we knew each other. He's like, hey, can you help us with this kind of – he knew my IT background. He knew my content background. He's like, we got a project. I think it's a perfect fit. Turns out it wasn't a perfect fit, but we did work <laughs> it for a year and then kind of realized after doing the IT piece of it, that the content piece of it was going to be really hard to manage with all of these employees at Billy Casper's courses and stuff like that. Fortunately, uh, Yahoo sports had reached out. Shane Bacon had been working at back nine network going on the path that he's now on. Yeah. And he had to extricate himself from that role. And Yahoo reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to do, you want to run our golf blog? And that was the way back into golf journalism. I, and um, I transitioned to that and started Golf News Net back up. I had run it from basically the day Golf Channel told me I would no longer have a job until I started with Back Nine Network, which was like three months. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just sitting there dormant. I was like, you know what? I'm tired of being in a media business where I could lose my job just because someone has a whim on a bad business plan that could cost me my livelihood. Mm-hmm. I, I can do that to myself. I can be a bad <laughs> business person myself. Right, right. So let's build this thing up. And that started in 2014, doing it part-time. And then I, Yahoo Sports was great to work with because they knew my goal. They knew basically from the start that I was going to eventually build this thing up. If I could, mm-hmm. do it. and in 2017, at the at the week of the U.S. Open, uh, after they had been acquired by Verizon and AOL, they called me and said, "Hey, um, we got to let you go. We we have all our freelancer budget slashed, wow. and uh, you, we don't have money to pay you now." So, fortunately, that was only six months before I was planning to leave anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so now, you know, we're what almost. Three and a half years into doing Golf News Net as my only job, and uh, fortunately, things have worked out pretty well. Absolutely, and it's it's I'd been it's kind of funny. So I, as I heard you kind of tell that that story, it's I've been thinking lately about just opportunities that have you know obviously you always you kind of make your own opportunities a lot of times, but you know every once in a while, like like the guy that said, "Go and do what you love, man." You know, and you get that push and you get these opportunities where different people reach out and um, and just being able to take advantage of that stuff. And I think it's just it's it's just great. I really you know, as you walk through your career, you know, you're something presents itself and you say yes. 
and then you attack it and and it kind of just you know it just leads the way it's great man it's super cool it, and you're like you've built it yourself you've built this thing yourself and i mean there's a there's a obvious te- uh, tendency to have a narrative that everything you accomplish is about yourself and definitely in my most indignant moments i think i did it all myself <laughs> right. and that could not be further from the truth because were it not for jim paul caro telling me i should go do this or rob bolton whose wife was having her 40th birthday party and he couldn't do it that week because of that. He thought of me. Um, wow. were, it not for Yahoo, were it not for Shane Baking taking a job that sent him on a good path, although that turned that specific job was ill-fated. Yeah. You know, none of these things maybe would have ever happened. Um, you know, were it not for just kind of some dumb luck on figuring out how to write how I write to get an audience to build ad tech, to learn about partnerships, um, to work, frankly, work at back nine network and learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those things, even the bad things are opportunities because it's a chance to dust yourself off and come out better for it. Um, but you don't, I, I'm firmly convinced you don't get anywhere without a tremendous amount of luck and opportunity. And, and so if, you know, for not just myself, but any business person that has been successful, if they tell you they did it, they truly did it themselves. They are absolutely lying. <laughs> it's not how it works. It just does not work that way. So true. So, all right, now let's keep going. We're going to go way back in time, I think. Maybe not, but um, you know, we've talked about what kind of got you into your current world. Where did the golf start for you? When did when did this this game grab you and say that that's it you're mine now? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I used to when I was younger, you know, like uh, I started playing baseball, t-ball when I was five. Then I would add sports. I wound up playing by the time I was twelve, baseball, soccer, and basketball. My mom would not sign the waiver to play football, so I played. <laughs> yeah, your baseball. mom, your mom, and my mom both. There's Good no decision, chance. mom, because yeah. my brain is not scrambled. Right. <laughs> not from football. Um, and uh, my uncle, Uncle Russell, was the coolest guy and remains one of the coolest guys I know. And he was into golf in around that time in my life, like 10, 11, 12. And he used to go out and play in these outings with what amounted to like a precursor to these modern golf societies where they would just, they would have like a season long basically race tournament, whatever, uh, with things and things. And they printed out on dot matrix paper where the stands, you know, standings were and scores and stuff. (laughs) And he would tell us about golf. I was like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like I loved mini golf. I was like, let's go play big golf. (laughs) And, um, kind of learned how to play. I got four driving range lessons at an airport driving range. Um, (laughs) I remember after finishing the lessons, I got a sleeve of Dunlop balls. I may even still have those somewhere. Um, I never hit them. Um, and my mom bought me a set of clubs from Play It Again Sports that were every other iron. Like <laughs> nine iron, seven iron, five iron, three iron. And then got me you know, a driver, three wood, a knockoff driver. Yeah. Uh, and I would just go to the range and hit balls, just ball after ball, learn how to play, learn how to hit, at least just hit balls. And then fortunately, 
there was an, again, twist of fate. Um, my dad's buddy, Chuck Slater, who ran an optimist program around junior golf. And it was like, hey, you know, you basically pay 10 bucks a week, you get together one night a week and just you bang as many balls as you want at the airport driving range. And the PGA Pro will come up and down the line, help you out as you need. And, um, and then we can go play the 12-hole the municipal course not too far from our house and get play at a cheap rate. And so that's where I learned to play golf. Carroll Park, uh, is a, now it's nine holes, was 12 holes. Um, and it, it grabbed me. I mean, it, the other sports kind of fell by the wayside. I, turns out I didn't really care for baseball as much as I thought I did. And um, soccer wasn't doing it for me. I didn't get that committed to it. And I love basketball, but I tried out for fresh soft basketball in high school. And on the first day I lost four pounds running that much <laughs> and quickly realized I was not playing center or power forward anymore. So that uh, was like, okay, golf it is. And was fortunate enough to absolutely luck my way into making the high school golf team. Um, I shot 39 on the second day of tryouts that I definitely did not deserve and was my <laughs> lowest score for nine holes to that date. Uh, I made a birdie on the final hole despite sculling my second shot with a wedge into a tree. It hit the tree, rattled around, and fell down on the green like seven feet from the hole. Um, and, you know, I played high school golf for four years because of that day. And um, the, I've been stuck ever – I mean, I've been in it ever since and had always thought, you know, I – I wanted to be in sports, wanted to be a sports journalist and be involved in the, that side of things. And uh, as it turned out, the thing I knew the most about was golf. And so I kind of narrowed my focus a little bit over time. Yeah. That, you know, the, the, the tree story is just the first time that an opportunity presented itself and you took advantage of it. So that, yeah. that's just where it, you know, that's where it started. And some, of, like, them are, and some of the opportunities are dumb luck. And, right. <laughs> and honestly, I think they start out as dumb luck. And you, you walk through that door and then over time you realize, hopefully realize what an opportunity looks like. And then it's not dumb luck that you walk through the door and you know, that, that one rattling off the tree, uh, absolute dumb luck that I walked through the door. And fortunately that, uh, that set me on a path that, you know, uh, what was that 1997? So 23 years later. Yeah. It's just um, amazing. Isn't it? When you look back at like that, like that, how defining that, and it was probably at the time, like, I'm sure you appreciated the luck involved, but who oh, yeah. knew, right? I mean, it's crazy. It just like yeah, sets I mean, you I, off this, 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 you know, crazy timeline. The funny thing is, uh, this was a couple of years ago, I believe, but the, my senior year of high school, was this kid, Matt Bassler, who was a freshman and just a phenomenal golfer. Like his dad was the club pro at where we played our, the country club where we practiced and played and um, just a phenomenal golfer. And a couple of years ago was at a, a media day event for the senior players championship it was being played in Baltimore. And Matt Bassler walked up to me <laughs> in that moment and he works for the first tee now. Um, so he, his journey continued in the game and maybe a way he probably never anticipated when he made the Mount St. Joe golf team, varsity yeah. golf team as a freshman. Um, but it's just an example of like those lifelong connections that you can make through this game that you can 
still call on when you need or, you know, even the ones you don't expect that maybe are you know, one day in, in your life. But uh, the, the game has a funny way of kind of putting you in touch with people that uh, might be in the rest, you know, a part of the rest of your life in some fashion. Yeah, it's really, it's really true. And it's, uh, it, yeah, I mean, those connections, it's, it's like a, a bond that just, yeah. The, once that bond is created, you play around with someone, then boom, like, that's it. Like, you, you know what I mean? You have that, you have that commonality and it doesn't matter anything else about the background or, you know, of, of each individual or whatever it may be, that's the bond and, and golf just does that. It's, it's, it's pretty great. And I, I know I'm not the, not unique in saying this. I'm sure lots and lots of people say this, but I feel like if you can, if I can spend four or five hours with somebody on a golf course, I'm not going to know everything about you, but I'm going to know who you are. Yeah. Like, and if I have a good time with you playing golf, I'm probably going to have a good time with you doing a whole lot of other things. And uh, that has led to business partnerships. That's led to personal friendships. Um, I mean, it's been, been amazing what, what yeah. it's done for my life. Yeah. Now what, just one, maybe one last question, probably, hopefully for your, in your case anyways. So you've seen some stuff, man, over the past, I mean, you've seen, you know, you talked about getting onto Twitter in the early days and you were, you were on the front end of the whole podcast thing and, and the website stuff. I mean, how has your experience been just witnessing this evolution of the way that golf is, is covered that, you know, the, the influencer world now and, and all these different ways that this game has, you know, is, has changed in the way that it's, that we sort of, our role within that game has changed. It's fascinating. I mean, it's amazing how quickly it moved in such a short period of time. I mean, when I, I wanted to be a, a capital J journalist, you know, when I first started talking about golf and not, I mean, most people in that world already entrenched in that world were wonderful. They would mm -hmm. ask my, answer my questions. They would help me out if I had issues. Um, they would welcome me into media centers. And there were some people who were like, you shouldn't be here. You need to go work for the Podunk Times and work your way up like I right. did. And you need to earn your way and, and all that stuff. And I was very defiant in that I believed I could make it without having to do it the way they did. It took a long time, but I did. Um, it, it seems like that has kind of sped up a little bit now. I mean, I know the no laying up guys have put in tremendous hours of work and it, it's a longer journey than maybe it seems like, but they were able to, to form a worldview that, in just the space of what, six, seven years, they've been able to turn into a tremendous brand and business mm -hmm. um, that wouldn't have been possible when I started. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm glad that it's possible for them. Um, the, the attitudes on what is an expert and who should be listened to, I believe, have changed for a good. Um, it gives more people an opportunity to have their voice heard and verified and respected and you don't have to go through all these formal channels anymore to be crowned someone worth listening to or caring about and that's sometimes for the bad yeah <laughs> but that's largely for the good i believe and the the market will decide whether yep. i i think something is good or not is 
completely unimportant because the broader market will decide. And I'm glad that exists. I'm glad that people, and I know I complain sometimes about there being a zillion podcasts or just right. like used to complain about there being a zillion blogs, but whether it's a blog, podcast, social media account, whatever it is, the market figures that out. And if it works, it will continue. And if it doesn't, it won't. And that's perfect. That's exactly what it should be. And hopefully all of the perspectives that have kind of gained traction over time resonate with some section of golfers and has had some influence on the way people think about golf for the better. And if that's been the case, then I, I think it's been a tremendous success to see how that's changed in our sport. And I hope in five years time, we're talking about how there are more women and minorities that are a part of that, that there yeah. are more kids playing golf, that we have better municipal golf facilities because of people demanding everyone have access to high quality golf at a reasonable price that, you know, the, all the battles we fight that are maybe picky fall by the wayside against those bigger goals of making golf more welcoming for everybody of all kinds of backgrounds. And I think that we're heading in that direction. Yeah, man, that I'm, I'm ready. I'm on board. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Let's go. I have to say that just what you're doing is working. If there's any doubt, I, I don't think you doubt it, but just to let you know, I think what you do works. Um, and, uh, and you know, it, kind of back to your point, if you've got, you know, if you're someone with an idea in this day and age, if you have an idea and a work ethic um, and, and you're, I think, a good, honest person, there's nothing that can stop you. You know, you can, you can kind of, again, make your own opportunities and, and, and start to build out, you know, what you want to build out. And I think that's, that is great. It is really great. And the thing and that's about kind of what you've done. And the thing about the golf community is, and I, I know I alluded to it, but the golf community is a small world, but it's a really welcoming, appreciative place to be for the most part. Mm -hmm. that there is no manual on how to do this. There is no one way to do this, whether it's media, whether it's starting a product company, what, whatever it is, there is no manual. So you have to cobble together what you learn from yourself. But there are so many people who are willing to tell you the specs of things that they've been able to learn and share it. And that has made so much of what I've done possible. And it's only my hope that whatever the hell I have learned in 20 years of doing this, I can pass along to somebody and help someone else out because that will make their journey hopefully a little bit easier. I like you, man. I like you, you, Ryan. <laughs> you, you have great perspective on things and I just think you're, you know, I dig you, man. I'm into it. I like it. You're a good human being. And it, I think the passion comes through and, and just the idea of, of, Still, after all these years, you, you know, you still kind of love what you do and, and you want to be inclusive and just speaking, you know, relative to what you said about the golf community, I still can't get over people that say yes to come in this show. I still, it's like, <laughs> I can't believe it, but everyone, you know, everyone's like, sure, man, I'll do it. Whatever. It's cool. And um, so I just, you know, I just wanted to, I, I think uh, I like what you're doing. I like you and uh, I, and thanks for coming on the show. It's been, it's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, 
a, a time like this actually puts into perspective a lot of the things that have happened over all this amount of time. And you can just ask my wife. There are days where I absolutely complain about my job and don't like pieces <laughs> of it. But when I can sit down and reflect on all the stuff that's happened, um, none of that stuff matters because right. of, of what has happened in whole. And so, you know, thanks for the opportunity to be able to tell you and, and tell everyone listening about that. Yeah. And uh, like I like to I've, I've said this about my own life, but it's the craziest life I've ever lived. <laughs> Amen to that, man. Amen. So that's Ryan Ballingy. You can find him on Twitter and on Instagram at Ryan Ballingy. I'll put uh, his handle in the show notes. And something else I'll throw in there because he just announced it. He just launched it. But um, he's got something going on with golfscouts.co called the goodie bag. And you can either do a one-time purchase and you can actually subscribe to a monthly kind of shipment, but it's got a bunch of kind of random stuff. So it has a pack of tees with some unique designs, a ball marker that's either custom made or if it's uh, uh, one that they have procured through travels and then a third mystery item in every shipment. So just a fun little golfy thing that Ryan has started doing. So very cool. Great conversation. Um, really, I really do like Ryan. I think he just has, as I mentioned on, on Twitter, right after we got done with our conversation, I think he's just filled with appreciation and he's filled with so much perspective. And it's it's just great to have someone on that like that on the show. So thank you, Ryan. Um, if you like this episode uh, and you want to hear more, you know, you can always subscribe and uh, and rate and review the, the show as well. That always gives me a little bump. Uh, in the podcast world, this crowded podcast world that I play in. Um, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for everyone that was that's listening and has been listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, but let's go back into Free Fallen before I go. When I stop talking, I'm going to lead into the, 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 the little, another little song trick where they break into good old-fashioned drum roll. And what a drum roll does to the listener is it builds some momentum and it builds some anticipation and he goes right back into the chorus. So that's the first thing I want you to listen to and, and try to feel what they're, they're trying to provide, that feeling they're trying to build with, with that little you know, drum roll. But the, the drummer is smart though when he's doing it as he's hitting on the, on the beat. So he's given a good a good whack and then ro- but rolling at the same time, so it really starts to build, and uh, and it's a really it's a very uh, it's a very good method of of filling and building some anticipation before that final push through of the uh, of the chorus. And then the other thing that they do towards the back end of the song is they introduce the backup vocals. Uh, lots of harmonization going on, which is great. But they also throw in a little bit of the AOs in there, which provides a little oomph to that last part of the song. So that's my little quick little breakdown of why I think this song is so good. And it is so good. Whether or not I think it doesn't really matter. It's proven. Free Fallen by Tom Petty is one of his all-time greats. It's one of the all-time great songs. And I love it. So here it is. Without further ado, the last few minutes... Let's go into that sweet little snare drum roll and build towards a big finish of this song. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I'll talk to you next week.